In today's fast-paced world, your business deserves banking solutions that are as dynamic and cost-effective as you are. Solutions like free business checking from LGE Community Credit Union, free online and mobile banking, no minimum balance required, plus no maintenance fees and dividends on your balance. At LGE, we're a smarter way to bank. See what's possible for your business at lgeccu.org. No monthly maintenance fees. Other service fees such as NSF, overdraft, wire, and stop payment fees still apply. Not all businesses will qualify. Membership eligibility and base savings account that keeps a $5 minimum balance required. Good morning. It's the Buck Palusia Sports Radio 680. The fan, the college football voice of the South flagship station for your world champion Atlanta Braves. And the 10 a.m. hour is presented by the Howe Law Group, your local group of experienced personal injury attorneys founded by law dog James Haug. You can't spell Haug without the U-G-N-A, HaugLawGroup.com. I'm Steve West. Buck Blue's playing golf today with Tony Barnhart. What? So I've been called in from the bullpen. I haven't gotten my seven warm-up pitches in yet, so I have to bang off the rust and start right away. Let's talk about the Masters and the Braves here. Buck's big take. Kind of two big takes today. Is there a sound this lot? Big take. Let's get to the big take. All right, the 86th edition of the Masters is complete. And Scotty Scheffler capturing his first major title. Final round, one under. 71, finished 72 holes at 10 under 278. Scheffler defeated four-time major winner Rory McIlroy by three strokes. Australian Cameron Smith and Ireland Shane Lowry tied for third at 283. Smith made an early charge in the final round, but Scheffler hold a chip in birdie from 87 feet at the par four third to hold off last month's Players' Championship winner. Scheffler also recorded birdies at the 14th as well as the par 5 15th. Now things got a little dicey at the end there for Scheffler with a double bogey at 18. Needed three putts from inside five feet to finish the round and close out the deal. Scheffler joined 1991 Masters champion Ian Woosnam as the only players to win majors in their debut event as a world number one ranked player. Only four other players have won the Masters while ranked as world number one. Woosnam, Fred Couples, Dustin Johnson, and of course, the great Tiger Woods. Tiger, really the story of the weekend, obviously fracturing his right leg in a car accident February of 2021, had not competed in a PGA Tour event since the 2020 Masters, and not only did Tiger Woods make the cut, he was able to play all four rounds, but the back-to-back 78s on Saturday and Sunday were the worst of his Masters career, and obviously the tie for 47th place. Uh, Also, uh, not what you expect from Tiger, but I mean, come on. How many of us thought that he'd be playing in this tournament as, as recently as 10 days ago? But it wasn't until the plane was sighted uh, there at Augusta, and he, he was moving in for the pr- practice round there to see if he could 
you know, walk up and down those hills and, and play. So it's an amazing, an amazing accomplishment and something some, I think no one's ever going to forget. I think for Tiger now, it's all about getting to number 16, as in the 16 major championships of the great Jack Nicklaus. Now, as for Scheffler, eight weeks ago, 70 PGA starts, zero wins, $8.7 million in career earnings. He was ranked 14th in the world. So he was a known commodity, but he hadn't had the kind of success that he's had. He's entered six events this year, and he's won four of them. Now he's got four wins and 76 starts, $17.6 million in career earnings. He's ranked number one in the world. And, of course, this is a tremendous story. The defending champion, Hideki Matsuyama, he's been battling injuries this season as well. 12 shots back in a tie for 14th. Now, the, the, the big take here for me, and I, I want to get the guys on the other side of the glass involved in this, with the accomplishments and the run that Scheffler is on here, and it's historic by any measure, and again, with understanding what Tiger Woods has meant to the PGA Tour, to the Masters, he's a five-time winner, to the game of golf, uh, maybe he brought folks like me that don't necessarily belong to a country club into the fold. Maybe I'm paying attention to tournaments besides the majors over the past 15 years because of Tiger Woods. But what do you fellas think? And, of course, uh, we've got Sean Nurney here and Derek Thomas working with me today. So great to uh, to see you guys on a Monday morning here. Are we talking too much about Tiger Woods and not enough about Scotty Scheffler? Uh, that'll vary between who you ask. Uh, ultimately, probably, because Scotty was so impressive uh, at, at such a young age, 25 years old, to pull this off on uh, such a meteoric rise. He deserves a lot of attention. However... Not as many people would have watched Scotty Scheffler win this Masters if Tiger Woods weren't in the tournament because that, that's how many eyes are drawn solely because of Tiger Woods playing. Now, I personally, I'm, I like golf. I was gonna, I'll watch every second of the Masters even when Tiger's not playing. That's not true for a vast majority of sports fans. They tuned in mostly to watch Tiger. Now, at the end of the, but having completed the tournament, Scotty Scheffler deserves his due. I would say this. I would love to see the numbers, both uh, whether it be the Masters.com website, was, which was fantastic. I spent the majority of my work shift on Thursday and Friday paying zero attention to the shows and watching the, uh, the Masters online. I would love to see what the ratings have, you know, what ratings you got for Sunday. Because for me, and I'm probably the opposite of Derek. I mean, I like golf. I like playing golf. But, you know, unless it's like the Masters or whatnot, I'm kind of tuned out to it. I was dialed in for, for Thursday, Friday, Saturday. I was on the webpage when it wasn't on TV. I was watching on TV when, when, uh, you know, when I got home from work or whatnot. But after Saturday, after Tiger, you kind of saw him you know, look a little bit more stiffer. You're like, I don't know if he's going to be able to uh, you know, play as well as uh, we thought he was going to play or whatnot. I kind of lost interest. So Saturday or Sunday for me kind of turned into uh, flipping every once in a while to check out the scores, but I was dialed in on the Braves. I would love to see what the numbers were on Thursday compared to Sunday. Yeah, it's interesting. Um, I, I guess with all the talk about Tiger, and maybe it's just because it's a major, maybe if this was just an ordinary event, which ordinarily, which evidently we're not going to see a lot of, if at all, from Tiger for the remainder of his career. At this point, it's probably just about the majors, selected appearances. Um, but it makes you wonder, okay, if this is what the focus is on during the arguably greatest event of the golf year, at least in this part of the country, in this part of the world, in this nation, 
then what's the future of the PGA Tour when Tiger finally hangs up his spikes for good, looks like, or look like, and quite frankly, I think we already have the answer. It looks like what the last 17 months have looked like. Golf's a niche sport, more so maybe than a lot of other sports. And I think that folks that are golf fans and fans of the majors are going to continue to tune in. Maybe not, though, in the same numbers that we had during Tiger Mania. It's not just the lack of Tiger. It's all the other things that drive ratings down in all of the other sports. So many different platforms, so many different ways you can watch. How do you quantify all of this stuff? So it's going to be a brave new world, but I would suggest that for the past 17 months, we've already seen what golf without Tiger is going to be like. And you're right. Golf is a a niche sport. Uh, It's not going to get the attention of the NFL or the NBA, even baseball at this point. However, it would be a much smaller niche, if you would, uh, if Tiger Woods never existed. Uh, I don't think any, all you have to do is look at the purses. Look at the money these guys were making in the mid-90s before Tiger Mania began and look at what it is now. Obviously, inflation, et cetera, helped that. But the tour has grown immensely due in large part to Tiger Woods. Now, however, Tiger Woods, obviously, his career is is nearing the end. We're, we're probably only going to see Tiger a handful of times a year at the most for the next couple of years, next three, maybe four, five years, however, and then he'll be eligible to play on the senior tour soon. But the state of the game is in good hands with between Scotty Scheffler and Justin Thomas and Jordan Spieth and Colin Morikawa. There are a lot of promising young players, and hopefully now none of these guys are ever going to be Tiger Woods. We'll never see golf and in the spotlight like we did early 2000s, mid 2000s, lately when Tiger comes back. However, the sport is in good in good uh, shape, and it's mostly because Tiger Woods put it there. Sean, uh, <laughs> curveball here for you, Sean. Had Rory McIlroy completed the career Grand Slam yesterday, are we talking less about Tiger right now and more about Rory than we are right now about Scheffler? Uh, I don't think so. No, I, I think I think Tiger's going to be at the top of mind uh, regardless. Uh, I mean, Rory, I think would have been a great story. I mean, the run he had yesterday was great. It would have been greater if he had that on Saturday. Shot a 64, his best ever Masters round. It would have been fantastic had he done that on Saturday, and and that would make things a lot more competitive uh, on Sunday. But, no, I think regardless of what happened, I mean, this year, you know, the biggest storyline, and apologies to Scotty Scheffler, the biggest storyline is that Tiger Woods coming off of that terrible injury was able to go out there and finish a full round uh, you know, four full days out on Augusta. I think that's the biggest story. And if you want to uh, quantify the Tiger effect, if you will, he I don't imagine he'll play in the PGA Championship. That's our next major. Look at the difference in the ratings between the Masters and the PGA Championship or the PGA Championship and the, the British Open that he says he will uh, will compete in later this season. Look at the ratings difference. That's all you need to know about the Tiger effect. We'll circle back around to this in the long segment that's coming up, but let's get to the Atlanta Braves very quickly. Obviously, the world champs return home. They get their ring, big rings, big crowds uh, across the way there at uh, Truist Park. Uh, Cincinnati gets the better of Atlanta yesterday, 6-3, to three, and so it's a split of the four-game series out of the gate uh, for the Braves. Uh, rough outing uh, for Ian Anderson yesterday for Atlanta. Just did not have command uh, of the fastball there. Uh, control was a, an issue. Uh, he walked five hitters uh, there, only giving up uh, three hits, but five earned runs. 
in two and two-thirds innings. On the other side of the story, and you want to talk about young stars maybe being born uh, before our eyes here, how about Hunter Green uh, from Cincinnati? First ever MLB start, MLB debut, second overall pick in the 27 Major League Baseball draft, 22 years of age, six strikeouts in his first three innings in which he did not allow a hit. The fastball over 100 miles an hour, in fact, he hit 100 20 different times in the outing peaked at 101.6 and the Reds loading the bases in the top of the third looked like there was an inning ending double play that could have bailed the Braves out only down a run but instead it ended with Nick Senzel safe at first Colin Moran and Kyle Farmer add RBI singles for the Reds and Cincinnati took a commanding Five to nothing lead uh, in this game. Braves uh, got to green the second time through the order. However, Matt Olson uh, ended the no hitter with a single to left. Austin Riley doubling uh, Marcel Ozuna's sack fly plated Olson to put Atlanta on the board. And then in the next stanza, Travis Darno and Olson went yard to cut the Reds' lead to six to three. But that's as close as it got. Braves will start U.S. Car Inoa. He'll be making his first start of the season tonight against the Nationals 7:20 first pitch. Last year, Inoa four up, six down, and a 4.05 earned run average, splitting time between starting and relieving. We were looking at former Brave Annabelle Sanchez for the Nationals tonight, but he's got some injury problems, so we're dealing with a starter to be determined at this time uh, for the Nationals. If we got a 7:20 first pitch, that means. 680 The Fan's leadoff show is going to start at what time, Sean Nerney? Uh, 6.05. Okay, 6.05. You said 7.20 first pitch? 7.20 first pitch. Yeah, so 6.05. 6.05, the Braves leadoff show right here on Sports Radio 680 The Fan, also on FM at 93.7, on the 680 app, and always streaming live at 680thefan.com. This is the Buck Baloo Show. I'm Steve West. Going to be with you till the top of the hour. We'll talk more about the Masters, more about the Braves. And, of course, uh, with Buck uh, being away, we're going to have some college football talk for you as well. I'm gonna Let's be get previewing, to that college football nugget. I'm going to be previewing one of the Bulldogs' opponents coming up this season. It has a little bit to do with uh, some place that Buck Ballou was just this past weekend. Also, we'll talk about the play-in game coming up for the Atlanta Hawks, who will be hosting the Charlotte Hornets coming up on Wednesday night at State Farm Arena. You're listening to the Buck Baloo Show, Sports Radio 680 The Fan. We are the college football voice of the South. This morning in North Carolina, wheels are spinning. Determination is winning. A passion is now a thriving business, and it shows no signs of slowing down. How? The power of a conversation. Like the one Clint Spiegel had with First Horizon Bank about starting a bike wheel manufacturing facility in Asheville. Now it's not just talk, it's rubber meets road. First Horizon Bank, let's find a way. Go to firsthorizon.com slash Clint. First Horizon Bank, member FDIC. Support for Extra 106.3 comes from Natural Body Spa and Skin Remedy, celebrating their 35th anniversary and offering gift cards in-store and online. You can discover Mother's Day and anniversary presents online at Natural Body Spa and Skin Remedy at naturalbody.com. Welcome back, Buffalo Show. Second segment, middle segment, the long segment. I'm Steve West, in for Buck Ballou, quarterback of the 1980 national champion, Georgia Bulldogs. 
That's the first time I've said that in the 22 years that I've known Buck, that he wasn't the last national champion quarterback for the Georgia Bulldogs. Want more of what you hear on 680 The Fan? Then check our array of incredible podcasts. The Podcast Park brought to you by Associated Credit Union has to offer from the Braves to the Dogs, from the Falcons to Beer, we've got you covered. All right, Braves split with the Reds. I was just telling Chris Domino out there in the, the bullpen, you look at the regular season standings last year, Cincinnati only won five games less than the Braves did. They were 83 and 79. Braves 88 and 74 there. Been some turnover for Cincinnati. There's been some turnover for Atlanta as well. But if you look at the regular season anyway, there wasn't a whole lot of difference between these clubs. Now, obviously the big turnover here for the Braves occurred at first base. I mean, that's the impact deal. And we all know what happened with uh, Freddie Freeman going uh, back out to Southern California. Matt Olson had himself a series here for the Braves. Eight for 14, scored four runs, drove in one with his solo shot in yesterday's three for four effort. He's batting a cool 571. Freddie Freeman, you ask? It's not a shot. We're just, we're going to do this all year long. I'm, I'm, I'm just going to be the first one to do it. Freddie got off to a slow start out there at Colorado in the Dodgers three-game series against the Rockies. Two for 12 to start the year, but we've Freddie's had some slow starts before. The weather gets hot. The weather warms up. Freddie Freeman warms up. Other guys getting it done at the plate for the Braves. Austin Riley, 5 for 13 in the series. Couple of ribbies. He's hitting 385. Travis Darno, 3 for 12 with a homer and 4 RBI. He checks in at 250. Now, Dansby, Eddie Rosario, Ozzy, uh, Duvall, we're not going to get into the numbers of the specifics, but let's just say they're looking forward to getting out on the field tonight in the first game of this series against the Nationals. Uh, we were talking about ex-Braves and just having some fun with that. Jorge Soler got off to an 0-for-7 start for Miami, uh, but 3-for-4 yesterday, so he's at 273. Jock Peterson 0-for-5 in limited duty there with uh, the Giants. So just some thoughts on that. Now get back to the Masters and Tiger Woods and Tiger Mania being back in full force. And it's well-deserved. Um, I think now, as I was saying earlier, it's all about number 16, right? It's about equaling Jack Nicklaus' record for the most majors because you can't pass the Golden Bear if you don't tie the Golden Bear. So I guess the first question is, again, yesterday was just a start, first step back. There's going to be pain management. There's going to be continued rehab. I mean, after all, this is a man who not long ago we were fearful maybe that he would either not have use of one of his appendages, one of his legs, or might not have the leg. It's held together by pins, screws, and rods at this point, and he's walking up and down hills and playing at Augusta National. That in and of itself I think is an accomplishment that, well, it captured the, uh, the imagination of the nation. But I think it's all about number 16 for him. And talking with Nick last week, I think you can draw a parallel between Tiger and what he's trying to do with the time he has left on the golf course to maybe what Albert Pujols is trying to do with the time that he has left on the baseball diamond. 
And that is for Pujols, who's sitting at 679 home runs, maybe get to 700. You've got a young skipper out there that's 35 years of age in St. Louis, who, by the way, has had to step away because of flu-like symptoms. But it probably helps the young manager to have a veteran hand, so respected, three-time MVP, one of the most beloved athletes in St. Louis sports history, two-time world champion, correct me if I'm wrong, 06 and 2011 out there in St. Louis, to have him come in and be a part of this team for his final season in Major League Baseball. And again, sitting at 679 home runs, he would need 21 to get to 700. Now, last year in split season between Anaheim and the Dodgers, he hit 17 home runs. And obviously the situation with Joe Madden and Anaheim, it wasn't the best. The role wasn't really clearly defined. It ended ugly. He was batting under 200, but he had five home runs for the Angels. He goes to the Dodgers, and he has a more defined role, and he hits 254, and he hits 12 homers. But what I went back and looked at is, okay, let's look at those 17 homers. 13 of the 17 came in 136 at-bats against left-handed pitching. So roughly once every 10 at-bats against a left-hander, Pujols went yard last year. And that includes the bad numbers with the Angels. So I got to believe if you're the Cardinals and you get one long ball out of every 10 Pujols at-bats, and if you're St. Louis, hopefully there's some ducks on the pond when he does so, I think you can live with that. And maybe with the more well-defined role over the course of the season, maybe he does have a chance to get to 700. I'm betting that it would probably take an, an additional season, an additional half season to get there. But that's what I think this is all about for Pujols, and that's what I think it's all about for Tiger Woods. There's not much left for either of those guys to accomplish, but I do see a parallel, if you would, in maybe what's left left on the table for each of those gentlemen. 404-231-1680 is the phone number. Gentlemen, any comments or thoughts on Pujols v. Tigers, Tiger and what they're trying to do here at the end? It's sad to see for uh, when, when an all-time great, like either one of them is, uh, does everything they can to hold on. I, I would the, the way they're coming about this is a little bit differently. Tiger coming back from... Uh, a car wreck and multiple back surgeries and knee surgeries, et cetera. And Pujols just uh, tapering off. We won't say necessarily why, what he may have been doing early in his career. But, uh, yeah, it, you get what you can. Not everybody goes out the way they uh, envision, like, you know, a John Elway or something like that. Sometimes guys hold on maybe a little too long. All right, headlines presented by Grease Monkey. Obviously, we're talking Masters. Scotty Scheffler getting the the win as a world number one and second player ever to do that in the Masters. Ian Woosnam did it 31 years ago. And obviously the Braves splitting the opening series with Cincinnati. All right, the Atlanta Hawks are in the NBA play-in. And it does appear that the play-in is here to stay. Not only does it offer a playoff berth to the two to two more teams in each conference, it also seems to have quieted some of the talk about tanking for better lottery odds. Teams are now motivated to get to that sixth seed in order to avoid a one or two game elimination scenario. 
And the bottom line is, I think, with the play-in, is that teams are either trying to get into the play-in tournament itself or fighting to get out of it. Unfortunately, the Atlanta Hawks are in the play-in tournament. That's the bad news. The good news is, is that by virtue of defeating Houston in the regular season finale yesterday and with the Charlotte Hornets winning, but they needed the Hawks to lose. In fact, all three teams ahead of Charlotte in the Eastern Conference standings, including Cleveland and Brooklyn, they took care of business yesterday. So the Hawks will host a home game at State Farm Arena, and that will take place on Wednesday evening. Just thought I'd take a quick look at the Hornets for you here. I know it's a little bit early. Last year, 33 and 39, they stumbled down to the stretch, qualified for the play-in tournament, but did not advance to the eight-team field when they were beaten by the Indiana Pacers. So they've been here before. Now, yesterday, as I said, 124 to 108 over Washington. Took them a while to do that, but they quit fooling around. As I said, all three teams ahead of them win. That relegates Charlotte to the 10th and final spot in the playoff mix. Therefore, the Hawks' only hope of playing another home game season, or I should say the Hornets' only home game, chance to play another home game this season, is to win two games on the road in three nights in order to earn a spot in the true eight-team postseason field. Long story short, that's why you want to avoid the 10 seed. And the Hawks were able to do that. Wednesday night, Charlotte is here in Atlanta. The winner of that game advances to face the loser of Tuesday's game between number seven, Brooklyn, and number eight, Cleveland, for the right to claim the eighth seed and play at Miami in the first round beginning on Friday evening. This year's Hornets, 43 up and 39 down. That's the most victory since the 2015-16 season. Just the fourth finish above 500 for the franchise since pro basketball returned to the city for the 2004-05 season. Charlotte boasts a potent offense led by LaMelo Ball, who as was once assist shy yesterday of a triple-double against Washington. They got a nice roster, lots of versatility, interchangeable pieces. I don't think this is a great matchup for Atlanta. I'm not saying that the Hawks can't beat Charlotte. I'm just saying I'm not so sure this is maybe the best matchup. Charlotte's 15-8 and eight since the All-Star break. 11-3 and three in their final 14 games. Included in that was a 116-106 to 106 victory over the Atlanta Hawks that vaulted the Hornets to the 500 mark at 35-35. and 35. That was the third victory of a five-game winning streak Uh, which keyed the late-season surge here for Charlotte. I mentioned LaMelo Ball, also former Michigan State Spartan and occasional rapper Miles Bridges on this team. And he was big in the first two games of this season series. Uh, The season series was split two games apiece. Now, on November 20th, here in Atlanta, the Hawks were able to pull out a 115-105 to 105 win. Bridges led the way that night for Charlotte with 35 points. On the 5th of December, the Hornets came into Atlanta and won 130-127. to 127. Bridges with 32 points in that game. Now, I'd have to look back at the box score for that game, which I didn't have time to do just yet. But I believe on the 5th of December, Atlanta dressed Trey Young... John Collins, and seven or eight members of the Washington Generals. 
I think that's where we were at that point in the season in terms of who we were running out on the floor night after night. And it has no doubt an impact or had an impact on why Atlanta's in the position they're in playing in the play-in tournament instead of maybe being a mid-pack in that true eight-team playoff, four or five seed. Two other games between the Hornets and the Hawks took place in January and March. On the 23rd of January, Atlanta uh, lost to Charlotte 113-91, and we just mentioned the 16th of March, or uh, Charlotte lost in January, and then in March, Atlanta, Charlotte came out with the 10-point victory, as we said, that got them to the 500 mark. And in those two games, LaMelo Ball leading the way with 19 and 22, respectively. So that's just kind of an early look at the Hornets. Uh, This is going to be a play-in game for sure, playoff atmosphere, no doubt. And, of course, you need to get down there early and be loud, support uh, the Atlanta Hawks as they attempt to play a second game and then maybe get into that true eight-team playoff field. Uh, Certainly this isn't the way we envisioned this when Atlanta made that run to the Eastern Conference Finals a year ago, but it is what it is. And and the NBA was adamant, we're not going to skip these games. We're not going to postpone these games. We're going to play these games. No matter how far down into the G League or uh, unrestricted free agents or guys playing down at the local uh, run, you're going to play these games. I don't think the NFL ever got that bad as a whole. Sure, there was the one Monday night game between New Orleans and the Dolphins that should not have been played. I don't know how many of New Orleans' 47 or 53-man roster dressed for that game. Maybe it was in the 20s. But that was a game that should not have been played. I just think at some point, if you're NBA, I know it's a difficult situation. Maybe you build a two-week or 10-day cushion into the end of the season because there's something to be said, I think, for competitive balance. And I believe the Atlanta Hawks, when healthy, if they were healthy over the course of the season, the full season, Now, we know John Collins hasn't played. We know other guys have been banged up. But obviously, I think this is a a factor playing those games in why the Hawks are in this play-in tournament. All right, as promised, time for some college football. You know, Buck and I have been friends for more than two decades now. And over the weekend, following Buck on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, you see where, where he's at. And, of course, it was another weekend uh, out in Stark, Vegas, Starkville, Mississippi, home of Mississippi State University. And I believe it was a baseball series against LSU. And Buck's good friend from uh, Valdosta, John Bond, played quarterback at Mississippi State. I remember it well. He was there when I was in school. So he set him up there. And I see a photo. And, of course, they're out there again visiting because Buck's daughter, Audrey, is going to be headed to Mississippi State. They'll be on the dance team out there. I don't even know where I'm at most of the time. Could be an early enrollee for all I know. Maybe she's going out there this summer. But, again, another visit. And so one of the photos uh, from the ballpark there in Stark, Vegas, is Buck Ballou and Mississippi State head coach Mike Leach, the Pirate. And, of course, I loved that when I saw that on social media. So I thought, you know what, Georgia is going to be going out to Starkville on November 12th. And the first thought that goes through my mind, I said it when I saw Buck the other day, we got to do a show out there. We got to do Buck Ballou's college football today, bright and early, from Starkville, Mississippi. Okay? I'll do the high school show till midnight. 
It's a five-hour drive over there to start Vegas. You pick up an hour going over because it's central time. I'll just pull an all-nighter. Hell, I pulled an all-nighter to do this show. Yeah. Matt Edgar lets me know I got a show to do. I can't sleep on a show. I got to do show prep. I got to be ready. There's no way I could go to sleep knowing that I had to do this today, especially flying solo. Doing a show on Friday night until midnight and then doing another show at the wee hours of the morning in Mississippi the next morning sounds Ridiculous to most of us. That's just a normal weekend for Steve West. You remember when I went out to the Rose Bowl on week zero this this year? And I, I was I on do. the air at midnight on Friday, August 26th, I want to say. Or Friday night football. Okay. I'm in Chicago, Illinois at Midway Airport as the sun is coming up. Okay, so I've been like at it for three hours, and I haven't knocked off any of the distance to Los Angeles. I'm only in Chicago. So if I can do that, I can drive to Starkville, Mississippi after doing 680 The Fans Friday Night Football and the Georgia Farm Bureau, Georgia High School Football School. Yeah, that's an, that's an off week for 680 legend yeah, I, Steve West. I can handle that. So anyway, that's October or November the 12th uh, for the Georgia Bulldogs. And I'm looking at this Bulldog schedule. We all know about the G-Day, obviously, is coming up uh, here on Saturday. Oregon at Mercedes-Benz Stadium. Samford at South Carolina. Kent State at Missouri, Auburn, Vanderbilt. That's a pretty manageable first part of the schedule. October 22nd, you got your open date, and then, of course, you play Florida, the annual world's largest outdoor cocktail party. I know I'm not supposed to call it that anymore, but I just did. Here's a tricky stretch, though, because now you're in November, and we don't know where Georgia or anyone else, for that matter, is going to be regarding injuries, regarding how their season has gone. I'm, I'm guessing it's going to go pretty well for Georgia, but, again, injuries are, are a big deal. Tennessee at home, between the hedges. Then in consecutive weeks, you go to Mississippi State and you go to Kentucky. And Kentucky's, as we've seen in recent seasons, much improved a program under Coach Stoops. And Mississippi State making the leap, I think, in a lot of folks' minds last year when they improve from four and seven to seven and six. Now, certainly at one point, Mississippi State was seven and four. The season didn't end the way they wanted to with the loss in the Egg Bowl to arch rival Ole Miss. And then uh, they were beaten down pretty good by Leach's, one of Leach's old schools, Texas Tech, uh, there in the Liberty Bowl. But I thought we'd take a look at Mississippi State. And first of all, it's interesting. It's a big deal anytime the defending national champions come to play in your football stadium. But being in the SEC West, Mississippi State has had more practice with this than most because Alabama is at uh, Starkville every other year, Davis Wade Stadium. So that accounts for a couple of national champs coming in. Um, LSU last year, coming off their natty, went into Mississippi State and got out of town with a 28-25 to 25 victory a year ago. I went back and checked 2011, the year after Auburn won the natty, but Mississippi State went to Jordan-Hare that year. And as for SEC East national champion, Tennessee did not play Mississippi State in 1999, the year after the Volunteers won the national championship. Florida, after the 2008 natty, did go to Mississippi State October 24, 2009. They get a 29-19 to win at Davis Wade Stadium. So I guess my point is Mississippi State's had some practice with this. I haven't come up on the winning end uh, very often, but uh, you know, definitely this is something that they have some experience with, and it's going to happen once again this year in November when Georgia comes a-calling. 
Now, we mentioned 2021 Mississippi State, 7-6, and six, a respectable 4-4 four and four in the SEC. They won their first two games over Louisiana Tech and North Carolina State. Remember, North Carolina State ended up 9-3, and 6-2 and two in the ACC, number 19 in the coaches poll, number 20 in the Associated Press. So that was a good win. Then they lose to Memphis by two and LSU, as I mentioned a moment ago, by three. And we remember how the Memphis game was lost. Uh, SEC officiating error. In fact, a number of them. Game officials should have overturned a 94-yard punt return for a touchdown by Memphis because of an inadvertent stop-the-clock signal by the back judge. Uh, What happened basically was there was a punt. Mississippi State appeared to have downed it, if I'm not mistaken, and the return man for Memphis picked it up and went 94 yards the other way, if I recall correctly. Or maybe it was the other way around. Anyway, Memphis goes 94 yards for a touchdown that should have been called back. And, oh, by the way, Memphis had two players on the field at the same time that were both wearing number four, which is another penalty that should have been called that wasn't. So you lose in heartbreaking fashion to Memphis. Because remember, now you're down 28 to 17. You stage this furious comeback. uh, Cut it down. Score two touchdowns. You got down to two points. You go for a two-point conversion with a minute and a half left in the game that fails. And then you lose to LSU by three. That could have been a backbreaker for Mississippi State. Instead, they go to College Station and beat Texas A&M by four. And they get blown out at home by Alabama. They go to Vanderbilt, win by 39. Come back home, defeat Kentucky by two touchdowns. Lost by a field goal to Arkansas. Won at Auburn when the Tigers were still ranked 17th in the country. Beat Tennessee State, and as we mentioned, the Egg Bowl losses or loss, uh, 10 points to Ole Miss, and then they lose to a Mrs. or Texas Tech there in the Liberty Bowl. As for Buck hanging out with the Pirate there, Mike Leach is a two-time National Coach of the Year, three-time Conference Coach of the Year, mastermind behind the air raid offense. He's the winningest coach in Texas Tech history, and he has the third most wins of any coach at Washington State. B.A. from Brigham Young. Pepperdine uh, Law Degree, United States Sports Academy Masters of Science. Interesting, typically the third or fourth year is when Leach teams make the move. Texas Tech, 2007 and 6, 2001, 7 and 5, 2002, 9 and 5. Never less than eight wins after that. Peak at 11 and 2, Big 12 South champs in 2008. Washington State, 3 and 9, 2012, 6 and 7, 2013. They fell back in the third year, 3 and 9, 2015, 9 and 4. Peaked at 11 and 2, three years later, Pac-12 North champions. So typically it takes to that third or fourth year, at least in these two previous stops, but from going from 4 and 7 to 7 and 6, when at one point you were 7 and 4, and you lost three games by a field goal or less, and one of the games really you shouldn't have lost, I think you can make a statement that Leach made the step last year maybe not the ultimate step maybe not the final step there's certainly other steps to be made but i think this is a much better football team and a much better football program than it was when coach mike leach arrived and the georgia bulldogs will be arriving at davis wade stadium in starkville mississippi on the afternoon or evening of november 12th and here's hoping that buck Belus college football today show will be there as well and there should be a lot more gorillas yeah, I, I love the Pirates. Domino and Tolini are good friends with a pilot, or a pirate as well, I should say. All right, final segment coming up on the Buck Baloo Show. I almost called it Buck Baloo's College Football today. Buck Baloo Show, one more segment to go. I'm Steve West, Sports Radio 680, the fan, the college football voice of the South. A lifetime of hard work. 
children laughing in the kitchen, family photos on a restaurant wall, a legacy that lives on. It all comes from the power of a conversation, like the one Tommy Hall had with First Horizon Bank about taking over his father's Charleston-based restaurant business. Now the table is set for a whole new generation. First Horizon Bank, let's find a way. Go to firsthorizon.com slash Tommy. First Horizon Bank, member FDIC. Support for Extra 106.3 comes from Natural Body Spa and Skin Remedy, celebrating their 35th anniversary and offering gift cards in-store and online. You can discover Mother's Day and anniversary presents online at Natural Body Spa and Skin Remedy at naturalbody.com. 2-1 pitch. Swung on, belted to center field. Sinzel on the run at the track, at the wall. That baby's out of here! Matt Olson with his first home run is an Atlanta Brave. Show final segment. Sports Radio 680 The Fan. We're on FM at 93.7 on the 680 The Fan app. Always streaming live at 680thefan.com. Stay connected to all the latest news, your favorite fan shows on the Fan app, driven by Beaver Direct, the fastest and easiest way to shop online for your next vehicle. Visit beavertoyotaofcoming.com and see what wow really means download the fan app now in the itunes and google play store so yes olsen going yard yesterday for the first time as an atlanta brave it's not going to be the last we'll see plenty more of those and as uh snit was saying yesterday in uh the post game show uh listening to k-mac yesterday bumping around uh cumberland mall suntrust park area or truest park area i should say I'm saying, look, we hit the ball well enough to have scored more runs in this series. Uh, Dickerson uh, squared up a couple that were right at people. Riley hit a ball that I thought was going out of the park that didn't go out of the park. So it was just one of those deals. And you split a four-game set with a team, again, that only won five games less than you did a year ago. And they had a kid that hit 100 on the gun 20 times. Now, something that was a positive development after giving up the three-run bomb in the opener there, Colin McHugh back on the hill for Atlanta yesterday as part of an extended bullpen afternoon for the Braves, what with the short outing from Ian Anderson. But McHugh pitches two and a third, faces seven hitters, strikes out five of them. And that slider was moving around as if it was a wiffle ball, I think K-Mac said. Unhittable. That guy's got some nasty stuff. And ever since the signing of McHugh, we've all been bragging on him for his versatility. He can pitch late in games. He can pitch in the middle of the games. He's a guy that's made seven career starts. He could be an opener for you. He gets lefties out. He gets righties out. And we saw that yesterday. We saw why this, maybe outside of Olsen, could be the key signing for this ball club. And again, talking with Chris Domino before the show, you got to figure at some point in this 14 games in a row stretch that the Braves are going to begin the season with, you're going to have an opener. You're going to have a bullpen game. 
just because you don't have a day off unless we get an unexpected rain out here. And as McHugh gave up that shot the other night, you know, I was thinking, you know, relatively late signing. Of course, all the signings or most of them were late because of the work stoppage. But maybe, maybe guys aren't stretched out enough. Maybe they didn't get enough work. You know, I don't worry about hitters so much, position players so much, and the lack of spring training or the truncated spring training. But pitchers, definitely, you kind of have some questions about that. Snit uh, saying yesterday that, you know, probably Ian Anderson needs another start or two, needs to get stretched out. I think that's the biggest question coming out of spring training. I think we've already seen some of those I- issues manifest themselves. But when McHugh gave up that three-run shot, I'm thinking, you know, maybe it would have been best for him to just kind of ease into it in an opener-type role. That's baseball. That's what fans do. I'm not second-guessing anybody. It's probably the greatest game for second-guessing that there's ever been that we talk about. And those are just things that you think about. But McHugh came back and answered all the questions with his two-and-a-thirds, five-strikeout appearance yesterday there uh, as the Reds closed out the finale in this four-game set with a 6-3 to three win over your Braves. Now, tonight it's the Washington Nationals who appear to be in rebuild mode uh, not, not long after winning a World Series of their own. When you look at this division, I think the Phillies are going to have something to say about it. Obviously, the Mets are off to a good start. We keep hearing about the Marlins with the young pitching, how they may be building something if they can improve their offense. I mentioned Jorge Soler leaving Atlanta, going down to Miami, signing a three-year deal. Uh, going three for four yesterday. I think he's going to figure into their plans, figure into any possible improvement you might see out of the Marlins. But it's the Nationals that are the team that kind of really nobody's, well, well, they're kind of discounting, maybe not worrying so much about. Who knows? They may, they may surprise. It's going to be a surprise maybe who starts at pitcher tonight uh, for the Nationals. Starter to be determined. Uh, a last word coming out of the bullpen there. And, of course, uh, the Braves going to go with Yuskar Inoa on the mound for Atlanta in a game that will start at 7.20 p.m. Eastern time, which means that the Ford leadoff show will commence at 6.05 p.m. Now, it's replica rings tonight across the way. Right? Wrong? Maybe? No, that is correct. The first 40,000 through the gates will get their hands on one of the uh, World Series replica rings. And we've had four great crowds already. Might as well make it a fifth. I want to thank Derek Thomas. Always great to work with DT. See him so often on weekends in the fall. Sean Nerney, magnificent as always. Great working with you. And, of course, Nick and Chris are coming up next. They'll have a full roundup of the weekend activities. The 86th edition of the Masters. Braves open defense of their world championship against the Cincinnati Reds and will continue the season tonight against the Washington Nationals. I'm Steve West. This is the Buck Baloo Show. Stick with us on 680 The Fan for the rest of the day. we got lots of fun, infotainment, and laughs. You know how it is. Sports Radio 680 The Fan. Home of the world champion, Atlanta Braves. In the orange deck. 
In today's fast-paced world, your business deserves banking solutions that are as dynamic and cost-effective as you are. Solutions like free business checking from LGE Community Credit Union, free online and mobile banking, no minimum balance required, plus no maintenance fees and dividends on your balance. At LGE, we're a smarter way to bank. See what's possible for your business at lgeccu.org. No monthly maintenance fees. Other service fees such as NSF, overdraft, wire, and stop payment fees still apply. Not all businesses will qualify. Membership eligibility and base savings account that keeps a $5 minimum balance required. Support for Extra 106.3 comes from Natural Body Spa and Skin Remedy, celebrating their 35th anniversary and offering gift cards in-store and online. You can discover Mother's Day and anniversary presents online at Natural Body Spa and Skin Remedy at naturalbody.com. Hi, I'm Mark Beckham with Atlanta Ramjack. We specialize in only foundation repair. What is foundation repair? Foundations sink or settle. These issues need to be addressed. It only becomes more costly the longer you put it off. What is the biggest cause of foundation problem? Either poor construction, inferior site preparation, or weather. Drought causes cracks in your foundations. If you see any signs of foundation issues, please contact us at atlantaramjack.com. 